the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing. Clark Hilton is engineering this afternoon. Glad to have you with us. Today we're going to talk with Pastor Scott Gilchrist, senior pastor from Southwest Bible Church. He's also the teacher of the downtown Bible class. We're going to talk about a study that says more than 25% have no plans to return to church, synagogue, or mosque. We'll also talk about the post-pandemic church attendance, and we'll find out what uh, what's happening with the downtown Bible class. Has that resumed, or will that be delayed? Well, taking a look at uh, headlines, wildfires that torched homes and forced thousands to evacuate burned across 10 parched western states on Tuesday, and the largest in Oregon threatened California's power supply. Well, nearly 60 wildfires tore through bone-dry timber, uh, tore through brush from Alaska to Wyoming, according to the National Interagency Fire Center. Arizona, Idaho, and Montana accounted for more than half of the large active fires. Well, the fires erupted as the West was in the grip of the second bout of dangerously high temperatures in just a few weeks. A climate change-fueled mega drought also is contributing to conditions that make fires even more dangerous, according to scientists. The National Weather Service says the heat wave appeared to have peaked in many areas and excessive heat warning uh, were largely expected to expire by today. However, they continued into uh, the night in some California deserts and many areas were still expected to see heights uh, in the 80s and 90s. In Northern California, a combined pair of lightning ignited blazes dubbed the Beckworth Complex was less than 25% surrounded after the days of battling flames fueled by winds, hot weather, and low humidity that uh, sapped the moisture from the vegetation. Evacuation orders were in place for more than 3,000 residents of remote northern areas and neighboring Nevada. There were reports of burned homes, but damage was still being tallied. The blaze has consumed 140 acres, or excuse me, 40 miles of land, including the uh, Plumas National Forest. A fire that started on Sunday in the Sierra Nevada south of Yosemite National Park exploded over 14 square miles, was just 10% contained. A highway that leads to Yosemite's southern entrance remained open, however. Well, the largest fire in the United States lay across the California border in southwestern Oregon. That's the bootleg fire, which doubled and doubled again over the weekend, threatening some 2,000 homes, state fire officials say. And it had burned at least seven homes and more than 40 other buildings. Well, over the weekend, the Klamath County Sheriff's Office warned that it would, um, it would cite or even arrest people who ignored orders to go now in certain areas immediately threatened by the blaze. Well, Tim McClary of, uh, uh, of the department said uh, he and his family were ordered to flee their home on Friday with flames just minutes behind them. They told us to get, well, out, causing it... Um, Uh, or you may end up dead. I'm paraphrasing because some of the language I can't repeat. Well, he described the blaze as like um, uh, 
fire NATO with flames leaping dozens of feet into the air and jumping around, catching trees, and then just explosions, boom, boom, boom. Well, the fire was burning in the Fremont Wanima National Forest near the Klamath County town of Sprague. It had ravaged an area of about 316 square miles, or more than twice the size of Portland. That gives you some perspective. Well, firefighters hadn't managed to surround any of it as they struggled to build containment lines. The fire drastically disrupted service on three transmission lines, providing up to 5,500 megawatts of electricity to California. And that state's power grid operator has has, uh, repeatedly asked for voluntary power conservation during the evening hours. Elsewhere, a forest fire started during a lightning storm in southwest Washington. That grew to 86 um, square miles. It was 20% contained yesterday. Another fire west of Winthrop closed the scenic North Cascades Highway, the most northern route through the Cascade Range. The road provides access to North Cascades National Park and the Ross Lake National Recreation Area. In Idaho, the governor there, Brad Little, mobilized the National Guard to help fight twin lightning-sparked fires that have together charred nearly 24 square miles of uh, dry timber in the remote drought-stricken region there. Well, the July heat wave follows an unusual June siege of boiling temperatures in the west and comes with worsening drought conditions throughout the region. Scientists say human-caused climate change and decades of fire suppression that increases fuel loads have aggravated fire conditions across the region. In other news, Senator Ted Cruz is blasting the Biden administration's tweet amid reports of a fierce crackdown in Cuba and the missing persons list. Well, the senator from Texas on Monday questioned on an early tweet from the U.S. State Department that seemed to assure Americans that the right to peacefully assemble is observed in Cuba amid new reports of punishing crackdowns by the government and an emerging list of missing persons. Missing persons there is a tragic description of what happens to people who are gathered up by the government. Cruz, the son of a Cuban immigrant, posted a portion of an article from the Wall Street Journal that mentioned Cuba's communist government's effort to snuff out protests. Havana deployed security forces across the island and arrested dozens. Havana deployed security forces, um, and Reuters reported that it appeared police, many of whom dressed in plain clothes, were seen beating some demonstrators. How is this possible, Cruz tweeted. The Biden State Department told us that the Cuban communist dictatorship protests um, are accepted and protected. A right to peaceful assembly? He asked the question. Well, Cruz referred to the much maligned tweet sent out by the State Department on Sunday that read, in part, peaceful protests are growing in uh, Cuba as the Cuban people exercise their right to peaceful assembly. Their right to peaceful assembly. Well, there is no right to peaceful assembly there. The White House and the State Department didn't immediately respond to emails. Um, President Biden said in an earlier statement, we stand with the Cuban people and their clarion call for freedom and relief from the tragic grip of the pandemic when in fact they were calling for economic freedom and from decades of repression and economic suffering to which they have been subjected by Cuba's authoritarian regime. Well, the journal's uh, report said that Cuban government essentially uh, sealed off much of the country's communications with the outside world and arrested more than 100 people. Report citing activists said that the whereabouts of many protesters are not known. In other developments, the U.S. Coast Guard is trying to dissuade Cubans considering fleeing the country by boat. And Senator Rubio slammed the administration's major failure of initially uh, tying uh, Cuban protests to rising COVID cases 
also saying, I don't know why it's so hard for them to criticize Marxists. And Mike Pompeo says Cuban protests are not about COVID-19. Republicans spotlight the uh, Cuban failure of socialism as protests erupt amid the uh, historic economic crisis. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Later this hour, we'll talk with Pastor Scott Gilchrist, our subject, church. Who's going? Who's not? Why and why not? We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show about 20 minutes after 4 o'clock. Pastor Scott Gilchrist will join us in our next couple of segments. He's senior pastor at Southwest Bible Church. He's also the teacher of the Downtown Bible Class, a program heard right here on KPDQ-FM. We'll talk about a study that indicates uh, 25% of people who were regular church attenders aren't planning on returning to church. What does that mean? It's not entirely clear from the study, but we'll talk about whether or not it's important for people to assemble themselves together uh, for worship. Returning to the news, Tammy Bruce points out that the vice president clearly doesn't know America at all. Uh, J.D. Vance mocks the vice president's ridiculous take on rural America, saying, leave condescension to your staffers. Newt Gingrich slammed the vice president's claim that rural Americans can't get voter ID, and others are also slamming the vice president for claiming rural Americans can't photocopy their ID. Well, Fox News senior political analyst Britt Hume reacted on Monday to the vice president's bemoaning rural residents who apparently cannot find an office supply store to photocopy their driver's license to send to state elections authorities. Hume told Special Report that voter ID is a tricky issue for Democrats, but that they are still trying to make the most of their uh, argument against it. They're trying to label Republicans as people who want to suppress the vote, but a number of the things that the Republicans want to do in the law they are passing across the country are things that are popular, and voter ID is very high on that list. I think it's politically really stupid to come out and criticize voter ID, end quote. Well, the vice president said over the weekend, there's a whole lot of people who live in rural communities there, uh, where there's no Kinko's or Office Max, and of course there hasn't been a Kinko's for years, uh, near them, which she suggests they would need to locate in order to abide by legislation in states like Georgia, Texas, and Pennsylvania that are seeking to strengthen election laws and integrity. Well, Brett Hume added that uh, Biden advisors are likely contemplating the effectiveness of having Harris out front as the point person on several such controversial issues like election reform, illegal immigration, and border security. She seems at times lighter than air, he went on to say. Well, a Denver suspect arrested near a Major League Baseball stadium asked to extend his hotel stay and move to a room with a balcony, according to police. One of the four suspects arrested last week at a Denver hotel near a Major League Baseball stadium slated to host this week's All-Star Game, which began moments ago, asked to extend his stay and move to a room with a balcony before he was found with multiple weapons, according to police documents. The four were arrested on Friday after a maid at the Haven Hotel saw firearms and gun components inside a room and notified a supervisor. The hotel sits near uh, Coors Field, which will host uh, tonight's annual All-Star Game after the events was uh, relocated from Atlanta earlier this year over Georgia's voting rights law. Hotel employees uh, looked up the vehicle associated with the renter of the room and found a Mercedes with an Idaho license plate. A ballistic vest and um, duty belts were visible from the outside, according to a police probable cause statement. 
A manager said the person who rented one of the rooms, Ricardo Rodriguez, uh, requested to extend his stay by several days and asked to be moved to a room with a balcony overlooking an alleyway, police said. And other developments, a Denver maid reported a bunch of guns in the hotel room near the All-Star site. Four have been arrested as a result. An Iowa man has been charged after allegedly bringing a loaded rifle with a laser scope to a Chicago hotel overlooking the beach. And Chicago um, weekend gun violence leaves 40 shot, 11 killed, including a rapper ambushed after being released from jail. Gavin Newsom will not be listed as a Democrat in the upcoming California recall vote. And a Texas Democrat lawmaker is being torched for fawning over his individual sacrifice for fleeing the state on a private jet. Well, Pete Alonzo captured the second straight home run derby crown. Well, the aging population will hit the U.S. economy like a ton of bricks, according to the Commerce Secretary. As uh, Dems are pushing a salt cap repeal, many states have okayed a workaround. Employees are being forced to return to the office in the fall. Well, they've reached a tipping point for resignations. And Boeing is facing a new dreamer, a Dreamliner production problem. Well, Cuba is calling for a crackdown on protesters, and the crackdown has begun. From the Wall Street Journal I referenced earlier, their editorial board, it isn't clear if this outburst has staying power or could be crushed like all the others have been. The regime is taking no chances. Mr. Diaz-Canel has unleashed his military and Ministry of Interior agents to stop the protests with arrests and beatings. On Sunday, he called for revolutionaries, plainclothes thugs, to take to the streets to attack protesters and warned that his opponents will have to go um, over our dead bodies if they want to overturn the revolution, end quote. Well, this state, use of violence is standard operating procedure in Cuba, and there are reports that Mr. Diaz-Canel has cut off all Internet service that the regime controls. He won't give up easily because he has much to lose. Meanwhile, President Biden issued a a statement of support to the protesters. Hugh Hewitt says, a great start uh, by Joe Biden. Now get on a plane to Miami and speak uh, speak it there with the vice president, flanking uh, and ditto Representative McGovern. And he goes on from there. Donald Trump says this, I stand with the Cuban people 100% in their fight for freedom. The government must let them speak and be free. A passionate speech on the Senate floor with regard to events that are taking place by Marco Rubio uh, was heard earlier in the day. And the Washington Post columnist Abraham Jimenez Enoa says that those who came out of in defiance included the woman I saw leaving her old apartment building in downtown Havana to confront a group of police officers who were beating a man with their batons. The man was screaming, you are doing this to me just because I want to live and eat. That's exactly what moved people to the streets. The woman stood in front of the officers and yelled at them about the lack of medicine and food, about her COVID-19 diagnosis, about the ambulance uh, who had to uh, pick her up a few days ago. Do you think this is a country? Is this uh, the trash you are uh, defending? She asked them. Well, the man and the woman were handcuffed. They were taken away while a group of people chanted, Freedom, abusers, freedom. Walter Russell Mead looks at how the Cuban dictators retain power through these difficult times. And again, you can read more on that in the Wall Street Journal. Socialist protests, or rather socialist Bernie Sanders, finally weighed in with this. All people have the right to, pro- to protest and to live in a democratic society. I call on the Cuban government to respect opposition rights and refrain from violence. 
It's also long past time to end the unilateral U.S. embargo on Cuba, which has only hurt, not helped the Cuban people, end quote. Well, Larry Elder, who is a Salem talk show host, has announced his run for governor of California. Elder said he decided to enter his first campaign after witnessing California's out-of-control homeless crisis, spiking crime rates, looming water and power shortages, and whipsaw coronavirus lockdowns. Larry Elder says, I'm a business owner, talk show host, author, and a son of California. I won't continue to watch Gavin Newsom destroy our state. That's why I'm running for governor of California in the recall election on September 14th. Help me save this great state. Well, Texas Democrats fled the state to avoid a vote on a bill to strengthen voting laws because the absent uh, Democrats would mean there will be there will not be enough members present to conduct business under the House rules. And they um, are quite smitten with themselves, taking selfies for their social media accounts and raising money, which included a gleeful picture of them on a private jet, none wearing masks, by the way. From John Fund, hypocrisy alert, them legislator, uh, legislators fled Texas for D.C. today to block needed quorum for legislature to vote on bills. They flew chartered jets and almost all violated federal mask mandates, which are required, by the way, uh, when flying. It applies to charters as well. Byron York points out, why do Texas Democrats think fleeing the state to cripple the legislature will highlight the issue of voting rights? What about the rights of Texas voters who elected Republicans to an 8367 majority in the Texas House? Unlike the situation in the U.S. Senate, that's an actual majority. Dan Crenshaw says this, Democrats to Texans, we, um, we won't enforce any criminal laws. We will open our southern border and we will throw a tantrum and leave on a charter jet when we get upset. Carl Rove points out Delaware has more restrictions to vote than Texas, too. Ben Shapiro says Jen Psaki's language uh, with regard to Texas voter ID laws is significantly more derogatory than her language with regard to the Cuban authoritarian regime. And Governor Greg Abbott says the Dems will be arrested upon return. Well, California plans to ban students who refuse to wear masks. The L.A. Times described it as building on the recommendations of the CDC, but in reality, they're implementing their own. The story notes the CDC rules allow vaccinated students to attend classes without masks. Then, in the very next sentence, they admit California is choosing to take a more strict and uniform approach which also is possible under the federal framework. Uh, Phil Kirpin says nobody hates children and science more than California. Well, blacks lead a poll of voters concerned with violent crime. Democratic leaders and progressives are leaving them behind. From Josh Krauschier, 57% of Republicans call the issue a major crisis, while 52% of Democrats concurred. Most significantly, 70% of African-American voters called violent crime a major crisis. Later, the party's left-wing activists advanced defunding the police as a campaign slogan throughout much of 2020 without much pushback from party leaders. The moderates in the party, including Joe Biden, belatedly distanced themselves from the unpopular ideology but didn't condemn the movement itself. Too many lawmakers saw crime as a political vulnerability instead of a governing necessity. An ultra-liberal ended up um, being booted for a single opinion that progressives didn't like, and she's suing. I'll tell you more about that in the second hour of today's program. Up next, we'll talk with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. We're going to talk about church, whether or not we really need to go post-pandemic. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, I have made reference to a, a survey that was released recently that said that more than 25% of people who attended religious services at least once a month before the novel coronavirus pandemic have no plans to return to their church, synagogue, or mosque in the next few weeks as lockdown restrictions continue to be listed, or rather lifted. That's according to a recent AP NORC poll. Now, it's a bit confusing. What does that mean in the next few weeks? Does it mean we're going to wait a little while and then go back to church? Not entirely clear. And it was a nationwide poll, but very uh, small sampling, 1,125 adults with a um, plus or minus um, error of 4.2%. Now, lots of people are looking forward to reconnecting with family and friends shopping for fun and going out to eat as the lockdown restrictions have been and are being lifted. But only 34% in general say they plan on attending in-person religious services in the next few weeks. And while a majority of people who attended religious services at least once per month say that they plan on attending those services in person in the coming weeks, 27% said they have no plans to do so just yet and aren't quite sure they will at all. Well, here to talk about this phenomenon and this trend And what the scriptures have to say is Pastor Scott Gilchrist. He's senior pastor at Southwest Bible Church. He's also the teacher of the Downtown Bible Class, a program heard right here on KPDQ. Welcome back, Pastor Scott. Hey, thanks, Georgine. It's great to be with you. Well, this is uh, my third day back in the studios at KPDQ, and it's kind of <laughs> kind of thrilling to have a real live conversation with you. So, <laughs> thanks for joining <laughs> us today. Well, it's it's my pleasure. I mean, and I'm glad you're feeling better, and I'm glad you're back at the at the actual studio. That's kind of exciting. Yeah, it is, and thank you, thank you so much. You know, there's a lot of discussion these days about the impact that the pandemic has had and will have on the church moving forward. Let me just ask you to begin with your general thoughts on. Uh, the pandemic, it's not unprecedented in terms of nothing like this has ever happened before. Churches shut down when there were other things similar to this. This is a, a different era. What are your thoughts about the, the impact of the pandemic and maybe exposing some of our weaknesses in the church or um, giving us an, uh, an excuse to just walk away altogether? Yeah, that's a big topic. Uh I would say, actually, that this is unprecedented in my experience, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, but but I'm aware that in history there's been things like this. But, boy, to be told not to meet uh, for a long period of time in our country, that was uh, that was unprecedented. And I think there what you said is right. It, it exposes uh some weaknesses in the church and also potentially some strengths and and God can use he always uses uh, negative things for good and I think that uh, certainly we've experienced that as a congregation and I think but in in the big picture I think that it, uh, it, it it's an opportunity it's a foothold for the evil one to uh, keep people away from something that's so essential to our spiritual life, which is gathering and fellowshipping together. And so I've been concerned about it from the very beginning, and we've uh, been so thankful that we've been able to, here in Oregon, we've been able to meet actually continually. Uh, We were restricted for some months, but, boy, we've been uh, very thankful that we weren't under the restriction that some places Mm -hmm. were. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I know. And I think that, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Well, I just, I think that the, the individual uh, Christian is so, I think we've learned so much about our need for gathering and the fellowship and the in-person encouragement that takes place when we gather together. And, and uh, at the same time, there's always that potential. I was thinking of uh, when you asked that question, that little phrase in Hebrews 10 where he exhorts us to not forsake the assembling. He also adds, as is the habit of some. It's always been part of the spiritual dynamic that we as Christians are tempted to think we can go it alone or get our, uh, you know, walk walk with the Lord without the help of, of others. And that's always a negative, and I've always seen that as a negative when I, as a pastor, when I see people start to uh, minimize the need to gather. And so my concern as a shepherd has been that some sheep will be tempted to, to develop bad habits, so to speak, yeah. and uh, try to exist without the uh, fellowship of the brothers. I know that um, in live streaming, a lot of uh, churches experienced people sitting in on the service from places outside of the the direct community. Did you experience that? I know that I spent a lot of my time recuperating at Southwest Bible watching the live stream service. I so appreciated uh, having that opportunity when, first of all, churches were not available to attend, but I wasn't in a position to attend at all. Did you find that there were people enjoying your services, or was it even possible to track that, that wouldn't normally attend at Southwest Bible? You know, that's real. That's very true. And that was one of the silver linings. And in fact, when you and I would talk from time to time, it was always an encouragement to me to know that that you were able to worship with us uh, on live stream. And we had had our live stream developed, I think, uh, and going before the the uh, COVID hit. But I'm so thankful for the technology that allowed us to to continue and actually improve it. And yeah, we hear from people really uh, all over the country and and around the world that uh, are sitting in, so to speak, and worshiping with us. I was talking to another pastor earlier this week, and he was mentioning that uh, some people from another state wanted to join his church because they had uh, been you know, worshiping with with that local congregation via live stream, and they they applied for membership. And I thought, well, that's neat. That's a that's a powerful uh, positive thing that has happened from the the uh, you know necessity of of worshiping by live stream. Well, let's talk about what yeah. the scriptures have to say about our assembling ourselves together. You know, when you're at home and you're in your PJs and the service comes on, you make yourself comfortable. You might sing along with the worship team. You might not. You may take a note or two as the sermon is being um, delivered. Uh, why not just stay home and be kind of a, <laughs> a a loose member of a congregation of people, although in a live stream you don't really see the congregation. You don't hear them. <laughs> you're, you're really just viewing the people on the platform. Uh, for those who think, yeah. you know, I, I can really enjoy a number of different churches and not have to actually become a part of one. Why not? Well, there's so many reasons. Uh, the expression of Christianity, the genuine expression of it, is always going to be tied with Jesus' words when he said, this is how they'll know you're my disciples, 
by your love for one another. And of course, love in the scripture, the way Jesus used that term, it's not merely saying you love people, it's acting on it. And uh, so I, I, I just think that the the love for one another that is the earmark of a believer will manifest itself in encouraging one another, teaching one another, admonishing one another, caring for one another, praying for one another. And those things just uh, don't happen near as readily. I mean, they can, and I don't mean to minimize what has happened, uh, you know, as we can connect electronically. I mean, you and I are in the same room right now. I'm not in the studio, and we can encourage each other. Mm-hmm. But but there's something about it. Uh, in fact, when you mentioned the pajamas and that sort of thing, I I thought of I thought of I think there was about four weeks at the height of the restrictions where we pre-recorded the live stream uh, earlier in the week, and then I would. So I actually experienced sitting in the family room <laughs> watching, you know. <laughs> And I noticed right away just the the lack of uh, connection. And then I noticed some positives. For instance, uh, when when we had others over to join us, we sang louder in the family room. And there was some joy that was exuded, mm-hmm. you know. And so the reality, uh, but boy, it's easy, as you said, to just kind of say, I can enjoy this. And, you know, church isn't really about just enjoying this, uh, even though we fall into that kind of thinking. But uh, it's an active participation in worship and an active participation in those uh, many manifest ways that the Bible talks about loving one another. So I think uh, even as you say it, it, one of the most valuable things an individual Christian can do is to uh, trace that that concept through the New Testament, that one another concept. Mm-hmm. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to care for one another, that kind of thing. And it's all under the umbrella of loving one another. So I think that happens best when we're gathering together. Yeah, Absolutely. We're talking with Pastor Scott Gilchrist, senior pastor at Southwest Bible Church and a teacher at the downtown Bible class heard here on KPDQ. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist, senior pastor at Southwest Bible Church and the teacher of the downtown Bible class, the program heard right here on KPDQ. Now, I have to confess, um, Pastor Scott, this being my first um, live interview since being back in the station, I wasn't quite sure how to pick up your call or how to <laughs> how to hang it up. You would think I would remember all of that, but it's been almost a year and a half. So uh, a little rusty, but glad to have you with us. <laughs> Clark, I'm not sure. I'm still not sure I hit the right... <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna. <laughs> Clark is coming out of the engineer's booth to the studio. I hit this one, isn't that right? Okay, I'll, I'll remember that next time. Thank you, Clark. <clears throat> Sorry, you have to be interviewed by an amateur, Pastor Scott. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think you're an amateur. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so funny. It's been such a long time since I've been in here. I really had to rethink how to do certain things. There's a computer screen to my left that tells me when the computer 
it, it tells us by computer when the commercial breaks are coming and how long they are. I still haven't turned it on because I can't remember how to do that. So <laughs> the fact that I have you back can, on the line I is feel, a real I advantage. feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you what you think God is teaching us through this season. I, I know that God never wastes a set of circumstances. He's always teaching us and refining us and conforming us to the image of his son. Do you think there's a, an overarching lesson that, that he is teaching his people through this pandemic and the quarantine that resulted? Well, I'm not, I don't know if I could say the overarching lesson, but I can, I can name several that come to my mind. Even during that commercial break, I was thinking of the uh, accountability that we have with one another when we gather. And, you know, we're prone to wander, the old hymn puts it, mm-hmm. prone to leave the one I love. We can wander off, and the Bible is full of exhortations to not turn to the right or to the left. And sometimes uh, when my vision is is just wandering, I need a brother or a sister to correct it, you know, to, to call me back. And so we need one another in that way. We need the leaders of the local church. Uh, we're under their authority. And we're to obey them. So those things come to my mind as kind of following up on what we were talking about. And then I think, you know, we've experienced lots and lots of people coming to uh, value the Lord more during this time and value the special nature of worshiping on on Resurrection Day each week. Um, Mm It's just been remarkable to me. I and as as I was thinking about that one another uh, concept and loving one another being the earmark of the believer. Sunday we actually have gathered. We have the privilege of gathering outside during this weather, and so we've been able to combine our two worship services into one the last two weeks, and it's been so good to see everybody together. And after the service, uh, a young man came up to me that I've had several follow-up times with. He came to Christ about eight weeks ago uh, during this time, and he is just so thrilled to know his Savior that he'd never known before, and he's experiencing the love and that sort of thing. And he came up to me, waited till everyone was kind of done talking, and he, and he said, Scott, what, how can I pray for you? And I thought, wow, that is so neat to have a, a new babe in Christ want to pray for me. And he wanted to know how, you know, what specifically. And I answered him like I usually answer people. Uh, I said, you know, I would ask you to pray that I won't leave my first love. Uh, that's my habitual prayer request. And that was it gave me a chance to kind of talk to him about how Jesus warned about that, and I've seen that happen in people's lives, and I'm prone to that if I'm not uh, careful. And so I asked him to pray for that, and he said he would. And obviously I was kind of giving him a little teaching, too, that uh, we need to guard our hearts and keep that love for Christ fervent. And I think in the bigger picture, the the isolation and the Oh, depression that people have experienced as our culture has been through such a traumatic year. I think those things uh, can be and are used to drive us to what our real hope is. And so I guess if I thought of an overarching uh, thought, I would say that I think God is sifting. He's pruning and pruning can be painful, but it's 
always done by the the perfect vine dresser, the Father, for our good and for His glory. And I was meditating earlier today on John 15, where Jesus said He's the vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. And wherever He sees wherever He sees a branch that bears fruit, He'll prune it, but it might bear more fruit. Mm-hmm. And and then he mentions that uh, when we abide in him and his words abide in us, we'll bear much fruit and glorify God. And I sense that many, many Christians have deepened their commitment to what really counts during this year. And especially as we're seeing the restrictions lifted, I'm getting to interact with more of them. Uh, we've been, you know, able to to be together now for months, and we're thankful for that. And I see people with a renewed zeal and a renewed uh, perspective that is uh, more eternal in uh, in its uh, perspective. The you know the New Testament's full of saying. Uh, these comments, you know, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. And when we've kind of seen our culture go through the trauma that it's been through, I think uh, one of the good things that can happen is that we we realize this world really isn't our home. We're just passing through, and our citizenship is in heaven. And it's not that we're not involved and and very. you know, we're to be salt and light right here and now, but to keep our perspective of what really counts and and to be thinking uh, long term as in eternal eternal thought uh, and mindset, I've seen that increase in my own life, and I think in many many others too. So that's one one thing that I think God has done through this, and I think it's also um, given me much more empathy for the church uh, around the world Mm, because earlier, you know, when I said, well, it's kind of unprecedented in my life. Well, yes and no, maybe in my little experience in America, but uh, I've, I know enough about the church overseas and I've been privileged to teach overseas enough to know that, that suffering for Christ is happening all through this era and really all through church history. And there are places where they're not seeing the restrictions lifted. The restrictions weren't driven by COVID to begin with. They were driven by communism or the other kinds of oppressive systems that are uh, constantly, uh, you know, happening in places around the world. And so I've, I've found myself much more empathetic for my brothers and sisters and actually obeying the command to pray, pray for them, uh, pray for those who are in prison for the Lord's sake, as if we were in prison with them since we're in the same body. Yeah. One quick question before we go downtown Bible class, I know had been suspended because of the pandemic plans for reopening anytime soon. You know, we actually don't have any, Anything on the schedule, uh, as you know, uh, downtown has been devastated as far as uh, the business district, and so we don't have that on the schedule yet. What we're doing is encouraging people, you know, via the radio. We're so thankful. We haven't missed a program during this whole time, and we're so thankful for KBDQ and and the radio ministry, and then our online ministries. So. In a quick quick way, that's how I'd answer that. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Well, Pastor Scott, thank you so much for talking with us today. I appreciate well, you, your faithful ministry. God bless. Great to be with you. 
News and traffic up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us this afternoon. We're winding our way through some of the uh, news stories of the day, and later in the program we're going to talk about a new attraction, a biblical attraction that's coming. It's going to be a while, but the Tower of Babel. I'm not sure that's an attraction I would necessarily have selected, but I'm interested in finding out how Answers in Genesis is going to uh, produce this uh, attraction in the next couple of years. We'll tell you more details about that. But first, the California Board of Education is set to push back against implementing an overhaul of its mathematics curriculum after opponents argued the plan needlessly inserts politics and social justice initiatives into the lessons. Well, gee, that's not new. California is on the verge of politicizing K-12 through math in a potentially disastrous way. Well, the postponement means the State Board of Education has heard the message loud and clear, although it's only postponed and not uh, done away with altogether. STEM leaders don't want California students left behind by introducing politics into the math curriculum. That's a statement from a senior fellow of the Independent Institute who tried to influence this decision. The California board is slated to postpone implementing its proposed mathematics curriculum framework during a meeting on Wednesday, pushing final action on the curriculum to May 2022, according to the board's agenda for this month. Now, as California goes, so goes the rest of the country. Big question mark there. The move comes after hundreds of former and current professionals working in science, math and engineering fields, as well as educators and venture capitalists signed an open letter denouncing the plan as one that will demathematize math and instead insert uh, environmental and social justice teaching into curriculum. Uh, now, if you are um, working in science, if you're an engineer, uh, if you're a mathematician, it's pretty important that you actually understand the principles of math. They argued, well, for all the rhetoric in this framework about equality, social justice, environmental care, and culturally appropriate ped- uh, pedagogy, There is no realistic hope for a more fair, just, equal, and well-stewarded society if our school uproots long-proven, reliable, and highly effective math methods and instead try to build a mathless, brave new world on a foundation of unsound ideology, the letter read. Well, drafts of the framework show the new curriculum would focus on equality to recognize that mathematics over the years has developed in a way that has excluded many students. It adds that because of uh, inequities, teachers need to work consciously to counter radicalized or gendered ideas about mathematics achievement. All students deserve powerful mathematics. We reject ideas of natural gifts and talents, reads a bullet point in the chapter one of the framework. The belief that I treat everyone the same is insufficient. Active efforts in mathematics teaching are required in order to counter the cultural forces that have led to and continue to perpetuate current inequalities. Well, the truth is some of us are more talented at it than others, but in teaching it, the point they were trying to make is we need to not to assume that, but to try to teach it equally. Well, the board says that the math framework development timeline from 2019 is out of date and said it was adjusted to allow for completion of edits directed by the Instructional Quality Commission. Well, the math proposal comes amid a nationwide heated debate on the implementation of critical race theory curriculum in classrooms, with some Republican state leaders uh, banning the teaching over concerns it's racist and anti-American, both of which would be accurate. I think critical race theory is uh, going to cause a lot of divisions. I think it'll cause people to think of themselves more as a member of a particular race based on skin color rather than based on 
the content of their character. This is a quote from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. It is, in fact, the antithesis of the civil rights movement, despite the fact that it's being characterized by many as the next step in the civil rights movement. Uh, In another um, event, a group of activists, artists, are claiming responsibility for a banner that was strung across the Christ of the Ozarks monument in Eureka Springs overnight on Friday. This is a huge monument in which Christ's arms are outstretched. Guerrilla Art Collective um, in Decline, that's the name of the group, said in a press release that it's responsible for a God Bless Abortions banner hanging across the 67-foot statue of Jesus located atop Magnetic Mountains. The group calls the banner a piece of protest art in direct response to the dramatic attempts being made in Arkansas and throughout the South to ban abortion services to women in need. I presume they don't mean the women in utero who would otherwise be aborted. They don't matter. Well, In Decline says that it was uh, smuggled onto the mountain by a small team disguised as a construction crew and strung up before sunlight on Friday or sunrise. The activist art collective has performed a series of similar stunts across the country, vandalizing an anti-abortion billboard in Mississippi, also known as a pro-life billboard, affirming the value and the sanctity of human life earlier this year. In 2016, In Decline uh, installed nude statues of then-Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump in cities across the United States. There's no commenting on that. Nobody deserves that. The Christ of the Ozarks Monument is one of the five um, giant statues of Christ in the world and uh, one of of only two in North America, according to the Encyclopedia of Arkansas. It stands... Near the intersection of U.S. Highway 62 and Arkansas State Highway 23, a very prominent location, the director of the Great Passion Play and the curator of the monument, Randall Christie, says he's disappointed in the message and how it was carried out. Lord, help them, he said. Maybe he'll somehow touch them and make them realize how bad that message really is. Well, the director says he will be uh, pressing charges uh, against in decline for trespassing and vandalism. Uh, In decline says that this will... um, not be its last project, not surprising there, about the issue of abortion. Well, speaking of the subject, denunciation of the West's colonial history in Africa are common these days, along with criticisms of how to dominate, uh, how a dominant culture was imposed on a less powerful society. Yet we hear little about how Western forces are currently reshaping Africa's culture through economic and political pressure. United Nations, Western donors, nations, multinational corporations and non-governmental organizations act as if they have reached a state of enlightenment, especially when it comes to the issue of sexuality. Indeed, they apparently feel compelled to press their enlightened views on the rest of the world. This approach, however, is all too familiar to many Kenyans. It reminds them of times when foreigners conquered African lands and imposed their ideas through force. That's why few Africans celebrate events like the recent Generation Equity Forum in Paris. The event was um, convened by UN women and governments in France and Mexico, where progressive countries and development uh, organizations committed to fund programs aimed at achieving gender equality and imposing their views on African and other nations, abortion and gender issues as well. Somehow that doesn't qualify as colonialist. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Consumer Price Index, the major inflation metric, surged by 5.4% on the year through June, representing the largest year-over-year increase since 2008. That's according to the data released Tuesday by the Department of Labor. Well, the jump exceeded many financial firms and economists' predictions. One example, economists at Golden, uh, Goldman Sachs expected only a 5.1% increase for the prior year, up uh, from 5% the prior month. Well, the increase was largely driven by price hikes in the used car and truck market, accounting for over a third of the increase, the Labor Department said. Federal Reserve and elected officials have expected inflation to moderate as the supply and demand disequilibriums in the average consumer basket rectify now that the pandemic is dwindling. They've suggested that production bottlenecks and supply squeezes are largely to blame for the uptick which they claim will resolve over time rather than contribute to sustained inflation. Let's hope they're right about that. Well, a large component in the inflation inqu- equation, rather, uh, that the uh, Fed can't control as easily as inflation expectations or what people think the direction of prices will be. Um, near-term consumer inflation expectations have risen recently, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. In a survey, year-ahead inflation expectations jumped 0.8% to a new high of 4.8% in June, but inflation expectations over the next three years stayed relatively constant at 3.6%. One interpretation of that data is that American households are increasingly sensitive to inflation movements in the short term, but not necessarily the medium long term. Well, we'll see what happens next. Well, there's a new trend in uh, cancel culture, and that's diet shaming. The story explains... On social media, it's uh, now popular to bash diets for being insensitive to those who, with eating disorders or different body types. So if you are overweight and you're being advised by a medical professional to lose weight, you're being diet shamed because there are other people who have eating disorders and different body types who might be offended by your effort to improve your own health. What a world we live in. Gavin Newsom will not be listed as a Democrat in the recall vote. From the rather entertaining story, a Sacramento County Superior Court judge on Monday denied the governor's request to be listed as a Democrat in the state's upcoming recall election after his office missed a deadline. While the governor failed to designate his party preference when he filed his official response to the recall last year, he asked the Secretary of State Shirley Weber to correct the error, but she declined, and then his office sued. Weber was appointed by Newsom. Well, workers who work from home are less likely to be promoted. Something to think about. And according to the story, that's with work output being equal. Well, France has announced no shopping, restaurants, or travel for the unvaccinated. A dream come true for some, and they're suspending healthcare workers, former heroes, who don't get vaccinated. In government and politics, Democrat author- authoritarians reportedly are pushing um, the SMS or text messages uh, carriers to crack down on vaccine misinformation spread through private messages. In other words, you're sending a text to your cousin and uh, there is pressure being brought to, to bear um, to prevent that what they're characterizing as misinformation to be threat, uh, spread through your private email. You can read more about that in the Daily Wire. Wow. Well, um, Biden's America, or maybe President Carter's America, economists issue a warning for Americans to brace themselves for years of inflation. Again, the Daily Wire, you can read more. Well, the top U.S. general in Afghanistan has 
step down as the chaotic pullout is nearly complete. A blind squirrel finds a nut. The president upholds uh, President Trump's rejection of the Chinese communist South China Sea claim. While they actually agree on one thing, at least for the moment, the Senate has confirmed Jen Esterly as head of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. A Florida suspect in a number in the murder, rather, of Haiti's president deepens the mystery. There seems to be more speculation about whether or not there was U.S. involvement. Around the nation, Chicago police retirements this year already top all of 2018 and could end up among the highest ever, while Chicago gangsters outnumber police officers 10 to 1 in Chicago. Critical race theory battles are driving out woke educators, according to NBC News. Well, an activist group um, hangs God Bless Abortion banner on the Christ of the Ozarks statue, saying it's not going to be the last time. And Governor Gavin Newsom suspends environmental rules to expand fossil fuel energy during the heat wave. Other notables, conservative pundit Larry Elder, who is a Salem talk host, a national host rather, has entered the California recall election. That'll take place in September. And the FDA added a new warning on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine related to a rare autoimmune disorder, which isn't uncommon with um, vaccines. But nonetheless, it's been issued. Uh, G20 finance ministers have signed off on an economically harmful global minimum tax deal. If you think you're being taxed too much now, think about a global minimum tax. Well, on this day in history, 1960, John F. Kennedy wins the Democratic presidential nomination on the first ballot at his party's convention in Los Angeles, outdrawing rivals including Lyndon Baines Johnson, Stuart Symington, and Adelaide Stevenson. 1973, former presidential aide Alexander P. Butterfield reveals to the Senate Watergate Committee staff member the existence of President Richard Nixon's secret White House taping system. And on this day in history, 1978, Lee Iacocca is fired as president of the Ford Motor Company by Chairman Henry Ford II. 1985, Live Aid, an international rock concert in London, Philadelphia, Moscow, and Sydney, takes place to raise money for Africa's starving people. And finally, on this day in history, 2018, a grand jury indictment, as announced by Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and sought by Special Counsel Robert Mueller, alleges that the Russian government was uh, behind a sweeping conspiracy to interfere in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. The grand jury indicts 12 Russian military intelligence officers on charges that they had hacked Hillary Clinton's campaign and the Democratic Party, releasing tens of thousands of stolen and politically damaging communications. Wow. Well, the results of a straw poll of conservative voters this weekend is spotlighting the appeal of Republican Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. He does not stand in lockstep with President, uh, former President Trump. Uh, DeSantis came out on top of a 2024 straw poll at the Western Conservative Summit, narrowly edging out former President Donald Trump, according to organizers of that conference. You might recall the CPAC conference. Donald Trump came out on top. The uh, straw poll at the summit, which was hosted by Colorado Christian University's Centennial Institute, asked people attending the gathering, both in person and online, to vote for all the potential 2024 presidential contenders that they approve of, out of 31 choices of both Republicans and Democrats. DeSantis is a first-term governor and Trump ally who's um, become very popular among conservatives nationwide since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, for his resistance to COVID lockdowns and other restrictions 
sourced a a rather scored a 74 percent approval, followed by the former president at 71 percent. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas at 43 percent, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo at 39 percent and Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina at 36 percent rounded out the top five of the straw poll. According to organizers, roughly 500 people attended the 12th annual summit in person at a hotel in Denver, Colorado, with tens of thousands watching online. None of the potential contenders spoke at the conference. Well, the Florida governor came uh, in second to Trump in late February at a straw poll at the Conservative Political Action Conference, or CPAC, the biggest and oldest annual gathering of conservative activists and leaders, which is better known by its uh, acronym CPAC. And DeSantis, whom pundits uh, consider a potential 2024 Republican presidential contender, made headlines as he easily topped a, a second straw poll at, St- at CPAC that didn't include Trump. Pompeo uh, launched a new political organization that um, uh, aims to help conservative candidates running in the 2022 midterm elections as Republicans hope to win back majorities in both the House and the Senate. In an interview on Fox News, the former three-term uh, congressman from Kansas who served as CIA director and later as America's top diplomat in the uh, Trump administration, emphasized that the mission of the uh, Champion American Values PAC or CAV PAC is to help conservative candidates all across America. We want to make sure that we can elect people who care about American workers and America's middle class. We'll see what happens there. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, a school board right here in Oregon is going to decide whether to fire two educators at a middle school who were placed on leave after they produced a video proposing that schools recognize a student's biological sex rather than his or her gender identity. Well, science teacher Katie Medard and assistant principal Rachel Damiano of um, North Middle School in Grants Pass, uh, they filed a federal lawsuit saying the school's disciplinary action in April violated their constitutional rights. Well, according to their attorneys at Pacific Justice Institute, the pair started a grassroots organization called I Resolve on their own time and use personal accounts on online platforms. Well, the stated goal of I Resolve is to provide a solution in gender identity policies for students at their middle school that both satisfies teachers' conscience and honors parental involvement. Well, the pair posted a video on YouTube in March to announce the organization's launch. This is an incredibly important case on multiple levels, uh, said Ray Hack. He's an Oregon-based staff attorney for Pacific Justice Institute who represents the two educators. He went on to say the Supreme Court has made clear that educators don't check their freedom of speech at the schoolhouse gate when they accept employment with public school districts. They have as much right to speak out against district policies they consider harmful as any other citizen. The school district erred egregiously here in punishing Rachel and Katie for daring to take the stand they did, end quote. Well, the Grants Pass District 7 Board of Education is scheduled to hold two meetings uh, July the 15th to determine whether uh, the pair should be fired, as uh, Superintendent uh, Kirk Kolb has recommended, um, and their attorney will be allowed to respond to the recommendation and to answer questions from the school board. So this is an important uh, case that represents uh, what could happen elsewhere around the country. Well, the school board's discussion is supposed to resolve only uh, resolve, revolve rather only around the two educators' alleged policy violations, not the merits of their organization 
or the questions and concerns surrounding gender identity and transgenderism. At the request of the employees, the hearing will be open, public meetings, with the public permitted to observe via Zoom, the school district said in a written statement, because the record for this hearing will be limited to the documents and information considered as part of the superintendent's administrative recommendation, no public comment will be allowed. Well, it seems uh, fatuous to pretend the real issue regarding the women's ongoing employment isn't related to controversy over gender identity policies in schools. More specifically, inconsistent, confusing gender identity guidelines that the Oregon Department of Education implemented in slight different forms at local districts, according to a local source. We recognize that, accepting very rare scientifically demonstrable medical conditions, there are two anatomical gender presentations, male and female. Uh, They say at the beginning of their iResolve video, the woman suggests alternatives such as changing the names of boys' and girls' locker rooms and restrooms and public schools to um, phrases such as anatomically male and anatomically female. In the iResolve video, um, MedArt, who teaches seventh grade science, suggests the need for such phrasing that describes, in essence, a person's genitalia. Well, a woman also says um, that students who are uncomfortable using restrooms that, uh, with names matching their genitalia should ask to use a private facility. Now, the women don't expressly oppose any student's decision to transition from male to female, but suggest that if a, a change in personal name is involved, the student use a derivative of their legal name to achieve more conformity. Well, it, it's uh, hard to imagine that two educators would have faced disciplinary action or had to file a lawsuit if they created a video or online post suggesting that girls and boys may dress however they like or be called whatever names and pronouns they desire. In fact, a close look at their video shows their um, material isn't controversial but practical. It's uh, clearly a, an attempt to allow students freedom to transition while bridging gaps among parents, students, and school policy. So it will be interesting to see what happens in this case. And again, uh, coming up in the next week, there'll be a hearing uh, to determine the fate of these two teachers. My guess is uh, if it is not favorable to the teachers, there will be a challenge to that decision. Well, no one could have um, envisioned the firestorm of controversy that would ensue When a federal judge in South Dakota asked a deputy U.S. marshal in his uh, courtroom to um, a simple question, had she been vaccinated? Well, the deputy refused to say whether she received a COVID-19 shot or not. Well, the district judge, U.S. District Judge Charles Cornman, a Clinton appointee, immediately ordered her out of his courtroom. She complied. Well, that wasn't the end of the matter. That afternoon, when the judge uh, tried to convene his next hearing, he learned that all federal marshals had departed his courthouse, and they took their prisoners with them. The judge later said uh, they'd been kidnapped and threatened to hold the marshals in contempt. Well, the U.S. Marshal Service, uh, meanwhile, stated it would not require employees to disclose their vaccination status. Well, the dispute sparked an angry debate over the judicial branch's authority to establish its own rules while protecting the safety of prisoners, judges, and other court employees. Judge Cornman's uh, boss, Chief Justice uh, Roberto Lang, went even further than did Cornman. In a letter to all court personnel, Lang uh, heaped scorn on anyone reluctant to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Wrote Lang, if any of you labor under such extreme views that the federal government is implanting a chip through your vaccine, that you should not work for the federal judiciary 
and need to find work elsewhere. Now, that was a rather insulting way of putting uh, individuals deciding not to have the vaccine. Well, three Republican senators, Ted Cruz of Texas, Mike Braun of Indiana, and Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming, have introduced a bill to ban federal vaccine passports after workers in uh, several um, regions have been uh, called to task, several states, and they were fired after refusing their employment demands to get the vaccine. I got the vaccine because it was the right decision for me, but people should be free to make the decision that is right for them, Senator Cruz says. Well, private employers uh, clearly have a right to ask for proof of vaccination status, but it's less clear uh, they can simply terminate employees who decline to get the vaccine the FDA has only certified on an emergency use basis. Well, the employees are saying that they... Uh, Uh, Their only transgression was refusing to submit themselves to an experimental vaccine. Well, those lawsuits reflect a growing dilemma, even as uh, falling rates of infection give rise to hope of a new normal. The thorny issue of how to verify vaccination status without violating the rights of the individual is very problematic. uh, Nowhere in this uh, is it more evident than in blue strongholds such as California's uh, Santa Clara County, home of the... um, Silicon Valley tech titans living in and around San Jose. Now, Santa Clara officials have issued a requirement for all employees in the county to determine and report on the vaccination status of all workers. Now, some speculate the order made it easier for the large tech companies to do what they were likely inclined to do anyway, namely require proof of vaccinations. Well, a biotech expert who lives in Santa Clara Uh, says that he has not been vaccinated himself and is concerned, based on his extensive scientific experience, that the new vaccine technology has was rushed to the market. Well, there's no question about that. The question is whether or not it was safely rushed. I think they chose Santa Clara County because they know if they really need the uh, employers to uh, push for it, the big employers here, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, they can get the assistance from those big employers If they really need to, he says, well, a bruising battle over vaccine verification now appears unavoidable, particularly in uh, urban areas, schools, subways, buses, concert halls, theaters and fitness centers all appear to have a vested interest. And some would argue a responsibility in taking every possible precaution to protect their employees and their customers. But for freedom loving individualists already frustrated by living under a mask mandate for well over a year, The idea of showing proof of vaccination in order to board a commuter train, for example, is a complete non-starter. Well, so far, the Biden administration has dodged the verification issue by starting uh, by stating rather that it will leave imposing vaccine passport mandates up to the states. Well, now that people are once again commuting to their company offices, employers have a tough choice. Do they tolerate the risk of infecting other employees and their Customers or require their employees reveal whether they've been vaccinated. Well, this much is clear for anyone serious about vaccine compliance. Just asking people to show vaccination cards won't be nearly enough. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, if you're looking for something to do over the summer months, well, in the future, let me encourage you to consider the latest biblical attraction, the Tower of Babel. I'm not sure that's one you'd necessarily want to visit, given the events that took place there. But Answers in Genesis is planning a three-year expansion of its Ark Encounter site in Kentucky. 
Well, apparently the Ark Encounter is a Bible-themed attraction there in Kentucky that features a 510-foot-long wooden Noah's Ark. It's planning to begin fundraising for an expansion. Now, I have to admit, the Ark uh, Encounter is on my bucket list. I'd love to come visit there at some point before uh, I go home. Well, the Ark Encounter said Wednesday that it would take about three years to research, plan, and build the Tower of Babel attraction on the park's grounds in northern Kentucky. And just uh, so you'll know, they're not intending to uh, uh, resurrect the original intent of the Tower of Babel. Well, a release from the Ark Encounter said the new attraction is going to tackle the racism issue by helping visitors understand how genetics research and the Bible confirm the origin of all people groups around the world. Well, no other details uh, were given on the the Babel attraction or what it might be like uh, or look like. I can assure you, says uh, Ken Ham, the CEO of Answers in Genesis, I can assure you it will be a fascinating eye-opening attraction. Well, the Tower of Babel has been on the list of planned expansions since the park opened. Answers in Genesis, the ministry behind the Ark and the Creation Museum, raised private funds to construct and open the massive wooden attraction back in 2016. Well, unlike Noah's giant vessel, there's no biblical template or physical description for the dimensions of the Tower of Babel from Genesis 11. But according to Answers in Genesis, studying the oldest buildings from the area, archaeologists assume the Tower of Babel looked like a ziggurat. Um, in the biblical account, people unite to, to build a brick tower as high as the heavens to make names for themselves. The Lord responds to confusing their, I should say, responds by confusing their language and scattering the people across the world. Prior to this, the Bible says everyone on earth had been of one language and of one speech. Now, it's rather interesting to consider the difference between pre-Tower of Babel and post. Everyone spoke the same language. Um, What an advantage that would have been. They had one speech. And yet, sin once again enters the picture and things change drastically. Well, the depiction at the, the Creation Museum shows a squat, unfinished structure since God interrupted plans to, to build it. The Ark's encounters, or rather the Ark encounters expansion plans also include an indoor model of what Jerusalem may have looked like in the time of Christ. Now, I've been to Jerusalem. I've seen models of um, Jerusalem at the time of Christ that were meticulously done. I'm curious to uh, to know how Answers in Genesis plans on what scale to present uh, the same depiction, whether or not they're thinking the size of Jerusalem or a model or something. Nonetheless, the Ark Encounter is uh, expanding. Uh, the Encounter said attendance is picking up after the pandemic lull in 2020 with up to 7,000 visitors on Saturdays, according to the news release. So in Kentucky, you can visit now um, the uh, <clears throat> Ark, but... In the next few years, you'll be able to visit the Tower of Babel, and at some point, the plan is to have a depiction of Jerusalem, which is fascinating, especially when you're familiar with the scriptures and you read about things happening at different locations, and you have some sense of the distance and the terrain and what it might have been like at that time. So that's coming up for uh, for vacationing. Also, I wanted to remind you, Multnomah Falls is no longer someplace you can simply drop in on. That starts on the 20th of this month. So if you're planning on, well, dropping in, as we've done for generations, you have to do it before the 20th. Starting July 20, you're going to have to have a pass. Now, they tell us it's free, uh, but the service that arranges for you to uh, to get a ticket costs a dollar per ticket. 
So I'm not sure the word free actually applies. Nonetheless, that will be required for you to visit Multnomah Falls. The issue has been congestion. Too many people, too few parking spaces, which typically means people just drive on if there's not a space for them to stop their vehicle. There's also a shuttle. They didn't uh, tell us a whole lot about it, but you can look that up for Multnomah Falls. Uh, If you ride the shuttle, uh, then you don't have to purchase a a ticket at all. So that's another alternative uh, to consider. Uh, That, too, uh, will be picking up as uh, the weather is improving and, of course, the pandemic that required that we distance ourselves from one another. And I originally thought that was probably the reason behind requiring the tickets, but apparently that's not the case. So um, these tickets are now going to be required. I can't tell you how many afternoons I've sat in my home and just said to mom, I call her mama, I said to mama, let's just go to Multnomah Falls. We hopped in the car, we drove out there, we got an ice cream cone, we walked around. Well, that's not going to be the case moving forward. Now, I don't know if this is going to be a long-term solution, but for now, it is the solution with the exception of the shuttle. And again, I'm not sure where you pick the thing up, where you drop your car off, but that's an option that will not require a ticket. The problem isn't congestion at the site, it's congestion in the parking lot. And far more people uh, show up at Multnomah Falls than there are facilities for parking. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with uh, Michael Sherrard. He is the author of Why You Matter, How Your Quest for Meaning is Meaningless Without God. It's like a puzzle missing the primary piece that makes the image on the puzzle make sense. So we'll talk with Michael Sherrard about that on Tuesday, Why You Matter, and give it some context, You Matter Uh, And life has meaning in the context of your relationship with God. Uh, We're still working on uh, something for Thursday, but on Friday, we're going to look at the lighter side of the news, as well as um, we'll take a look at uh, headline news as well. We talked with Pastor Scott earlier today, and the consensus has been in a number of polls that have been taken that more than 25 people who attended religious services at least once a month before the novel coronavirus pandemic have no plans to return to their church, synagogue, or mosque in the next few weeks as the lockdown restrictions continue to be lifted. Now, that can be somewhat misleading. Does that mean that after a period of of time the plan is to return or uh, that the plan is never to return, they don't see the need, or um, live stream has replaced actually standing shoulder to shoulder with family members in a local church. Well, this is according to a recent AP NORC poll, but there have been others as well. As I mentioned in my conversation with Pastor Scott, this poll, only, uh, which was conducted in early June, uh, only uh, involved 1,125 adults with a margin of error of minus four point plus or minus 4.2 percentage points. So how reliable it is, not altogether uh, sure, but while lots of people are looking forward to reconnecting with friends and family, shopping fun, going out to eat at uh, uh, restaurants as the lockdown restrictions are and have been lifted, only 34% in general say they plan on attending in-person religious services in the next few weeks. Now, again, that can be somewhat misleading. Is it uh, after the next few weeks they will return to church or never plan to return? And there are some stats that we quoted uh, in that conversation as well. All of that to just encourage all of us to consider not necessarily what our feelings are on the matter. You know, it can be very comfortable sitting in your uh, living room or your kitchen or even in the bedroom and watching a service with people you know, listening to the worship team, singing when you feel up to it or not. 
rather than getting dressed and going to a worship service. But that is the the pattern that we have in Scripture. I just want to encourage all of us um, to go back to church. That's God's plan for us. It says the gates of hell can't even prevail against it. So that's a pretty powerful association of believers. And I think we do well to associate with one another in obedience to his plan. So take that into account. Uh, Churches made tremendous accommodation. Uh, Different churches did different things. But it's time to return because God has work for us to do as a community. Once again, tomorrow on the program, we'll talk with Michael Sherrard, Why You Matter, How Your Quest for a Meaning is Meaningless Without God. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Clark Hilton for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.